0: Welcome to Black and Red All Over, an Anglican podcast where we share and celebrate the rich heritage of the Anglican way as found in her confessional texts, conforming theologians, and most especially in her formularies. I'm Richard Tarsetano, the pastor of Trinity Anglican Church in beautiful Connersville, Indiana, and I'm joined by Stephen Wedgworth, pastor of Christ Church Anglican in South Bend, Indiana. Good morning, Stephen. How are you today?
1: I'm doing great, Richard. Good to be back with you. How are you?
0: Oh, Jim Dandy, thank you. Excellent. Very excited to uh, jump into Article 17 today. Uh, I'm sure it will bring lots of interesting commentary, but uh, it's, it's a great article, an important and beautiful article, uh, and one that I'm excited to speak with you about.
1: Yes, this one, uh, you know, some listeners know I have a history of Presbyterianism, all things Calvinism. So this is definitely one of the big articles that uh, comes up in my own kind of biographical conversations, um, and one that um, I think uh, is right there at the heart of the Anglican way, but uh, has a lot of a lot of water under the bridge with controversy. So lots to talk about.
0: Yes, indeed. So uh, we'll go ahead and get started with a reading of Article 17. OF PREDESTINATION AND ELECTION Predestination to life is the everlasting purpose of God, whereby, before the foundations of the world were laid, he hath constantly decreed by his counsel secret to us, to deliver from curse and damnation those whom he hath chosen in Christ out of mankind, and to bring them by Christ to everlasting salvation as vessels made to honor. Wherefore, they which be endued with so excellent a benefit of God be called according to God's purpose by his Spirit, working in due season. They through grace obey the calling. They be justified freely. They be made sons of God by adoption. They be made like the image of his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ they walk religiously in good works, and at length, by God's mercy, they attain to everlasting felicity. As the godly consideration of predestination and our election in Christ is full of sweet, pleasant, and unspeakable comfort to godly persons, and such as feel in themselves the working of the Spirit of Christ, mortifying the works of the flesh and their earthly members, and drawing up their mind to high and heavenly things, as well because it doth greatly establish and confirm their faith of eternal salvation to be enjoyed through Christ, as because it doth fervently kindle their love towards God. So for curious and carnal persons lacking the spirit of Christ, to have continually before their eyes the sentence of God's predestination is a most dangerous downfall, whereby the devil doth thrust them either into desperation or into wretchedness of most unclean living, no less perilous than desperation. Furthermore, we must receive God's promises in such wise as they be generally set forth to us in Holy Scripture, and in our doing that will of God is to be followed which we have expressly declared unto us in the word of God. Okay, a lot going on there.
2: Yes.
1: Um, election, predestination. Uh, interestingly enough, um, in uh, in God's providence, uh, I spent this week working on a different, different uh, venue for a different platform, but working on a paper on um, Calvinism, predestination, election, these topics. And so I got to spend a little time um, with the various traditions, different uh, confessional texts, and uh, something that maybe this is obvious, but I had not really thought about it before in these terms. Something that was very helpful to me is that in Calvin's own writings, uh, also in the Lutheran confessions and in uh, many of the English uh, Reformed dogmatic writers, um, they are careful to distinguish different terms. When we hear predestination, many people today jump right into like philosophical questions. Uh, right. you know, God is in control. Do we have any freedom? That kind of a thing. Um, Determinism, all those
0: things.
1: <laughs> yes. It's important to know that the term predestination in Protestant Christian uh, theology really is connected to the the particular point of election, which is choosing certain people to be saved. And the ideas that we um, are thinking about when we're thinking about determinism or God's control, um, those are typically connected with the term uh, foreknowledge or uh, prescience. That's the technical term there. Um, And and pretty much every Christian affirms prescience. You know, God knows all things. Right. uh, And even providence. Which is not only he knows it, but he sort of uh, he orders it, he controls it. You know, um, not not one sparrow falls without your father's will, right? That's what Jesus says. So, um, though that might be controversial to modern you know modern Americans, modern Europeans, um, that really wasn't controversial in Christian history. Um, it's there in the Bible. Certainly, it's in Augustine, uh, but it it just follows from basic doctrine of God. Uh, He knows everything. He's in control. Uh, He orders all things that come to pass. Uh, Romans 8.28, we know all things work together for the good of those who love him. Um, God works all things according to the purpose of his will, as we hear in Ephesians and elsewhere. So the basic idea that God is uh, in control, uh, in charge, uh, that's not really uh the point of controversy here (laughs) with predestination uh it's connected they go together but that's a separate thing um also the concept of free will um and the loss of free will is another conversation as well you know martin Mm -hmm. luther he's got a book the bondage of the will Um, the Lutheran confessions are all extremely clear uh, that the sinner does not have freedom to will good things in the eyes of God they can't choose to do spiritually uh, righteous actions on their own and so you you don't have to be a Calvinist to, to to hold to those views um free will also is important to know um that all the Augustinians uh, and all, all Orthodox Calvinists affirm that man had free will in the original state of integrity. Mm-hmm. You know before Adam fell into sin, he had free will. <laughs> uh, right. He could choose to do the good. And so you'll see language um, in uh, the Westminster Confession, which is a Presbyterian document, which is strongly affirming divine predestination, foreordination, uh, the divine decree. Um, but it will say that uh, they still uphold the liberty and contingency of secondary causes. Yes. Um, and that language actually comes from earlier english uh A- anglican uh, theologians um uh, usher uses that kind of language yep. in his irish articles uh it even is going to go back to the lambeth articles uh during uh, the elizabethan period and so the idea is that, that yes that's, god is in that, trouble I okay. that, same,
0: that same language is also going to be used in uh uh, uh Hooker, Davenant I mean they, they both are all great I mean it's like the sort of the 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 wide spectrum of of uh, of what sometimes people would sort of take to be um the English positions all use that language together
1: yeah. yes, yes and the more you read just the history of Christianity, um, you see that being the normal way to talk about things. It's kind of 19th and 20th century where people forget this stuff. Um, so the idea is yes God is in control He orders all things. And yet, uh, because he is an infinite being outside of space and time, uh, he's not in some sort of competition with human freedom, contingency, responsibility. Um, the two can coexist together. And uh, and so it's not a philosophical determinist. It's not no. fatalism or stoicism uh, or any of that thing that that anyone in the Reformed tradition is talking about. Um, again things might change as you get into the modern era
2: that's right
1: but in in the period of reformed orthodoxy in which the articles of religion are written uh, that's not what they're affirming Uh, they affirm free will in its generic sense that humans are created with the ability to choose to do right Um, and even after sin the problem is not god's sovereignty you know that's not what keeps us from being able to do the good. Uh, the problem is our sin, right. <laughs> bent will, concupiscence, and so what. What we're concerned about is the effect of original sin, mm-hmm. and as Paul says, the natural man in the flesh, uh, he cannot please
0: God. That's right. I I, I, lo- I love the way uh, Hooker puts it, um, and I and you you mentioned that. Uh, talking about Calvinism even that word sometimes in circles just suddenly people just their ire goes up and you can't have a, a reasonable conversation um so Hooker will talk about the the total disability of a person um is a language he loves to use um and and yeah that's right in that in 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 that wheelhouse of our um he'll talk about we have a, an aptness that uh, is still there like there's like we're not brute beasts right there's a real mm-hmm. still there's still a beautiful part of being a human being, and there's still uh, a, a, a a glory there. Um, but we, do, without uh, the grace of God, we are totally ina- unable to to turn to Him, um, and that should be uncontroversial. But it is fascinating how often that is very controversial um, in in circles where where uh, I think because of how. I, and I use this term technically how dumb the discourse can be between uh, 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 what's considered sort of Protestant and Catholic. Um, you can get some very odd distinctions that get put in um, that are solidified, um, that are very simplistic um, and are actually not uh, and anachronistically brought back to these texts um, where people are, are going to try to die on a hill to protect, you know, sort of a philosophical libertarianism that just 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 is incompatible with the God we find in the Bible. That's right.
1: And since it was a few weeks, or I guess months ago, uh, since we discussed it, we should remind listeners that uh, Article 10 of the 39 Articles discusses free will. So that that has already been covered. Uh, And Article 10 says that after the fall, man cannot turn and prepare himself by his own natural strength and good works to faith and calling upon God. So so that's already been covered, the loss of free will, and it's due to sin. Where predestination and election kicks in, the topic that we're covering today is is after all of that has been taken into account, and we're looking at man as sinner, and then God is choosing, he is uh, decreeing to deliver some portion of humanity from the sinful condition so that's where this doctrine starts and we have to be really careful when we talk about that and you can see that here in article 17 it's before the foundation of the world because it's in the mind of god you know it's he's already decreeing and purposing these sorts of things right but what what is it that he's decreeing to deliver from curse and damnation those whom he had chosen in Christ
0: yeah and so you have an
1: order here even though it's in eternity there's still a logical order to it
0: and that's right and it, and it and there's i think two things that 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 I would just briefly mention um you know how seriously do we take the idea of curse and damnation right i, mean, I think that's a really important thing for us understanding um you know uh even in this morning's reading um um, from the lectionary in Jesus describing the people listening to the Sermon on the Mount as evil. Uh, like I mean, there, there's a sense in which how how seriously do we take their curse and damnation? Um, and how much does that affect us? And how much do we need grace to 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 perfect our natures? I I think is 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 key there. Um, and also there's it's an interesting that the in Christ um that's there, whom he hath chosen in Christ out of mankind. The in Christ was one of the things that was added into the 39 articles. Um, from the 42 articles, um, we've talked about this before, Stephen. Um, that it's and, and you, you, you've, uh, uh, I think you're you're dead on. Um, that sometimes people like to um, say that the transition between the 42 articles to the 39 articles um, meant that uh, the doctrines of grace or Reformed soteriology were somehow sort of cut out of them. Um, and and I, that's kind of a very foolish position, and, and not the case at all. But in a lot of ways, things were actually uh, made tighter uh, and better and this is one good example of this that it's in christ that we are chosen out of mankind um that, it's, right. the, that it's the it's uh, the uh efficacious sacrifice of christ by which we are chosen uh and had nothing to do with our own our own merits
1: yeah yeah that's right um the the 42 articles of course that's sort of cranmer's production uh in his own lifetime and then later um they are uh refined and they become the 39 articles and you do encounter certain strange suggestions that um, you know perhaps under cranmer uh in the edwardian era they were you know very happily calvinist thoroughly reformed Um, but then when elizabeth comes around you know she tones everyone down
0: right (laughs) Uh, right. set it
1: down guys and uh some sort of like compromise with maybe lutheranism is Mm -hmm. achieved but when you look at this article, especially, the changes are just not that dramatic. Uh, the one that you mentioned is probably the only one um, that, that you would perhaps want to discuss with any sort of link, the adding of being chosen in Christ. Every other change is super minor, you know, yes. where it says <laughs> de- de- decreed by his counsel. It originally said by his judgment. Uh, wherefore they which are endued that used to say whereupon such as have (laughs) you know um, it's it's pretty pretty basic changes the only one is the the addition of being chosen in christ and that would be something that um you know calvin would have taught and affirmed it's just clarifying it perhaps in the face of uh, detractors and critics making that really clear
0: And and again, we don't want to just make this. I I think when we say, "Hey," I I find myself doing this a lot of times. I mean, when we think about this in terms of being sort of what Calvin would teach, but it would also be, like like, what Vermigli teaches. It's what uh, I mean. I I think this is it's what Jewel teaches. I mean, I I think there's a a strong strain of this um, um, that you know eventually we sort of just start to become calling uh, uh, Calvinism. But there are distinctions and differences, and there's lots of things that are that are played out. Uh, and there's a it's a big room. I think sometimes people come to, uh, to come to this uh, and immediately want to simplify things and sort of stake their claim in, in one of two camps. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I think it's it's actually much more accurate to say that there's room within um, uh, reformed orthodoxy, room within the Anglican way. Um, uh, there are some non-negotiables within the what the formulary set up and demand. Um, but there's space within that. And you can see those arguments when you go back and read um like mm-hmm. the difference between like Burgess and Davenant and Ward and Usher. And like there's all these, you know, there's there's a fast still a fascinating room for us to do the work of theology. It is not stultifying at all. Um, but you don't okay. just get to sort of import Lutheran or Roman Catholicism into the Anglican way and then sort of say, actually, this is the the, the true the true Anglican way. That that doesn't right. make much
2: sense. You
1: yeah, know, it's a great point. And um it's always tricky to say, well, how much how much filler and background information should we add to these discussions? But yeah, the term Calvinism, that's sort of shorthand. Um, and it's one of those expressions that um, if at all possible, if we could totally eliminate that term, yes. we'd be much better off, not because I'm ashamed of it or trying to run away from it, but just because it conjures up so many different sets of assumptions in people's yes. minds. And also, this is the big problem, is that it it sends the message that this doctrine of election and predestination is somehow like uniquely tied to John Calvin. Right. Uh, And that's just not true. Um, Prior to Calvin, Zwingli is proclaiming the uh, predestination and the decree of God very strongly. Um, Cranmer, who is going to be known as a proponent of it, I I was looking at the McCullough bio very quickly uh, to see what he said about this topic. And uh, Cranmer actually brings it up in his sacramental debates because there's, you know, the question of how do you receive the grace and the sacraments, and you've got to have faith. So how do you have faith? That's got to be given to you by God. And so uh, Cranmer is relying on a doctrine of election and predestination for uh, his theology of the sacraments, especially uh, the the reception of the Lord's Supper, but also baptism. Uh, mm-hmm. That's very interesting. McCullough talks about um, some of the work from Ashley Knoll, where Knoll has discovered Cranmer's, um, well, I shouldn't say discovered as if no one ever had it, but he's uncovered and drawn more attention to Cranmer's writings and notes and kind of personal journals on this stuff. And Cranmer uh, is... Uh, relying on the doctrine of election to explain uh, how it is that the people can receive the grace of baptism. And this is coming out in the 1540s, uh, these notes from Cranmer, uh, where he's writing them. And he's not primarily at that time um, associating with Calvin. You know, Calvin never yeah. moves to England. Cramer doesn't go visit Calvin. Uh, he's working with Peter, Peter Margaret Vermigli, and he's corresponding with Martin Bootser. Yes. So uh, Bootser is in Strasbourg, um, a character that's often seen as a bridge between Luther and Calvin. Vermigli was, um, he passed through Geneva. He was associated some sometime with the German uh, Reformed as well, though he himself is Italian.
0: Right. Um,
1: and, but he then does go to England. You know, Vermigli ends yes. up arriving in England, teaching at Cambridge, not writing literature for um, for that emerging Church of England.
0: And so, importantly, uh, teaching Jewel at, at Cambridge. Right. Right. I mean, that, that chain is, is very important there. Yep. Yes,
1: absolutely. And so um, the, the doctrine that people commonly call Calvinism, uh, when you're thinking of the Church of England, much more central players to it would be Bootser, would be Vermigli. Um, the writings of Henry Bullinger were very popular. Yes. So, there he's a successor to Zwingli in Switzerland. He's brought in also another Italian, you'll like all these Italians, Richard. Uh, oh, yes, Ger- Gerolamo Zanke. Oh, yes, um, he wrote a book on predestination and it was brought to England, translated into English, widely distributed. Um, and so, you, you had a whole Community and network of theologians, and whether or not they ought to be called Calvinist, you know, is really debatable. Especially with yes. like Vermigli and Zanke, yeah. um, you know, they they didn't share Calvin's view um, against all images. And that surprises people. They they actually had a role, but they didn't use them for worship. That was, they were all agreed on that, but they would allow, you know, crucifixes or nativity sets or, you know, paintings of the man Christ, whereas Calvin would not, you know, and that's a pretty important difference at the time in history. Um, And some of the articulations of baptism, especially with Bootser, you know, you may be seeing things that sound a lot more Anglican there. Um, so that's just important to keep in mind Um, the doctrine of predestination and election was very much present and common at the english reformation but no one understood that as the possession or contribution of calvin no Uh, and many people uh, were already advocating it before calvin had achieved you know his fame and authority
0: and i i i and it even beyond the, the generation of Cranmer and, uh, and, and even beyond the second generation of Jewel and going, going through that, uh, uh, I really highly recommend, um, it's, it's expensive, but uh, Michael J. Lynch's book on uh, John Davenant's hypothetical universalism, where he goes through a big way of defending the idea that um, there is uh, Augustinianism is just in the warp and woof of English religion um, I mean, you, you can even look at like uh, going through other archbishops of Canterbury, you mentioned Thomas Trammer. I mean, is Cramer's position that different from like Bradwardine or uh, or uh, or even Anselm? I mean, there's so many similarities within all of that. Uh, I mean, th- it isn't as if that, again, like to call that Calvinism is a good shorthand in some ways. But that's a shorthand that only works in certain areas of our modern time. Uh, and of course, you know, that, you know, you know, church government, that's it, that wouldn't be a form of Calvinism um and calvinism in anglican writing post revolution post the 1640 yeah. revolution it becomes a not it basically becomes a, a a term for people who killed the king which which sort of poisons it in writing for for the subsequent years afterwards That's um right. and but none of that has to do anything with what most people think of calvinism in terms of predestination and election even though he, he does write not that not as much, that not that much about it which is kind of funny in the institute it's there and it's but it's not, met, it's not written in a controversial way, um, which is so so fascinating when you get to it. it it's written no, as being, uh, a fair reading uh, of Augustine and Prosper and Fulgentius and all those guys.
1: That's right. And in fact, uh, we're probably getting into the weeds, but I, I can't help myself. <laughs> that's all right. A lot of people, when they compare, you know, the early Reformation documents, Especially the Articles of Religion, with uh, the Westminster Confession, which is coming out later. That's much more of a Puritan document. One of the things they notice is that the older material, like the Articles, it puts predestination, you know, well into you know towards the back of the discussion. It's not one of the first few chapters. We've already covered a lot of things, and now it's coming up. The Westminster is different, you know. It's got the divine decree up there, you know. It, uh, I forget, is it chapter like three or four? You know, it's it's pretty it's early. It's <laughs> yeah, it's tw- it's early. It's towards the beginning. Let me double check. It's chapter three. It's yeah, the third it's thing early. they want to talk about. So they do Bible, <laughs> they do God, they do decree. So so like, okay, wow, that that's a different uh, different set of uh, priorities, perhaps. Yes. But having said that now go back and look through Calvin's institutes and he does not handle predestination until the third book. Yes. Not chapter
0: book. Book. That's right.
1: And it's playing the position. uh, It's doing the work that it's doing in the articles, you know, having discussed Adam's fall into sin, having discussed our inability because of sin, um, We now know and see that God is the one who chooses us. Uh, He decides to send his spirit to work in us to grant us faith and capability. And the New Testament proclaims to us that that was actually a decree that God made before the foundation of the world. Right. So
0: um,
1: Calvin actually representing the older uh, sort of order and position here. It um, just shows you, yeah, the diversity, the distinctions, and um, we don't want to get too hung up on later uh, sort of particularities. So is this a Calvinistic article? Maybe, but should we call it that? No, because that's not historically accurate, um, and no one at the time would have felt the need to use that language because they thought it was already a uh, common Orthodox doctrine.
0: I think that's right. And of course, doctrines get, you know, uh, uh, as time goes on and as controversies arise, doctrines get more and more fine and, and greater distinctions are made. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, uh, I think later on in the 17th century, um, both sort of Beza on one side of it and kind of, and I don't even want to, you know, because you know, both these guys were, were, were essentially, um, fine with, for instance, the Canons of Dort, but sort of, you know, Davenant and Ward, you know, they have distinctions and things that they have, they have differences with the way that like, like Beza would, would, would interpret the, the doctrines of Grace. Um, but I think uh, there's much value in the Anglican way uh, of looking back, um, particularly in its defense of uh, uh, something like the, uh, kind of the, the Lombardian formula of, you know, sufficient for all, efficient for the elect. Um, mm-hmm. I think, so trying to maintain that, um, which I think is actually something also Hooker does. Um, uh, Hooker is in some ways uh, 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 in conversation with everything that comes before him, particularly in the scholastic period. Um, and some distinction that people will make sometimes um, is that uh, uh, Hooker seemed to have some sense of what Aquinas talks about, sort the permissive will um, kind of idea, and um, but it's funny when you actually nail down permissive will um, at the end of the day, um, it, 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 it basically, uh, it, it, most people when they hear that assume it means that, well, God allows things to happen. He he lets his hands go and and, and all things just kind of fall, the chips fall Um, where uh, it's actually a much more case of, you know, if whatever God doesn't act upon always happens. Right. So there's a sense, I mean, so that the sort of the passing over, it isn't, a uh, 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 you know God being uh, uh, hands off and and uh, and entirely absent is a fact of that. This is a function of His will by which the thing that He allows to happen will always happen. Um, which functionally speaking, when you work through this, I mean, it it it, it works out to be uh, 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 very very much a, a function of the same doctrine.
1: Yeah, the the term permissive will you do see that in Augustine, and it's it's often used as. Um you know, a way to show differences between, you know, a really strict Calvinist. But you have to keep in mind that they still thought that God was
0: active
1: in (laughs) his permitting.
0: Well, yes, exactly right. Yes, that's it. Yes.
1: Um, Because if God is not active, then you're contradicting the, um, the, the prior doctrine that he is pure act. God is always active. He is not acted upon. He uh, is impassable. You know, um, that was everyone affirmed that God was impassable. So um, he's got to be always the the original actor here. And when he permits things, that's by saying, you know, because I've decreed all this to happen, I then um, am going to use all of the various secondary causes and I will allow them to do their work. So uh, he's not, you know, intervening and in changing the secondary cause. He's letting the secondary cause do its work. That's what that means. Very technical, um, but uh, yeah, I don't think there's a lot of difference there between Hooker and, you know, um, at least the the ordinary reformed orthodoxy. Um, and that's really what matters, right? If if we determine that Calvin himself was wonky or imprecise. Um, that wouldn't really change anything for the various confessional documents. <laughs> that's <laughs> because... right, and, and
0: and that's just sort of an interpretation of Romans one, right? I mean, that's God giving them up to their own desires. I mean, but again, that giving, I mean, that's that's all active within what God is doing. Uh, and I think you're right. Um, uh, uh, at the end of the day, the the line that Hooker draws, and I think also the line that 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 David would draw as well, um, is the question of whether or not God elects people to salvation and carries them through to the end and gives them the grace to to do that um outside of any of their merit or 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 actions and that is entirely hooker's hooker will will die on that hill um yep. from the beginning of his ministry even through his late writings um he, that that to him is the big distinction um and and to, if you ask a person a lot of times that's what they'll say they think um is calvinism um and uh this was not this for them. This was this was entirely an uncontroversial point, and did not put them in any kind of sort of strange, weird Calvinism camp.
1: Yeah, I was uh, looking at the um, the Lambeth Articles. These are written in fifteen ninety five. Um, commonly said to be like the the beefier, more Calvinistic stuff that mm-hmm. um, Elizabeth doesn't allow to become a formulary. Um, and it is true that Elizabeth doesn't allow it to become a formulary, um, and we could debate why or what if it needed to have been. But what's interesting is it was approved by both the Archbishop of Canterbury and the Archbishop of York, uh, in 1595, mm-hmm. so this is this is well before uh the controversy with Arminianism. You know that right. that's not breaking out until the 16, uh, you know, after the 1600s really. I mean, I guess you'd say well before. Maybe people are already debating it, but the Synod of Dort is not until 1619. Right. So right. so we're we're in advance of that, um and this is going to be approved by the archbishops of Canterbury and of York. I'm assuming that's Whitgift
0: at this time yes. in history. That would be a discussion um, of Canterbury.
1: Yeah, and uh, Whitgift is the guy who also recruits Hooker to write nice. the laws.
0: That's exactly right. Yes.
1: So you know these are they're they're all they're all on the same team at that point in history. Um, and one of the lines in the Lambeth Articles, and I think this is kind of the the key thing that we're probably trying to get at. It says the moving or efficient cause of predestination to life is not the foresight of faith or perseverance or good works or anything inherent in the person predestined, but only the will of God's good pleasure.
0: Yes. And that's something even like, yeah, that's something even Lancelot Andrews is totally on board for that part of it. I mean, he's got his problems with certain other aspects, but he's 100% on there. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so
1: God is the one who chooses it and he doesn't choose it because of something in us, but out of his goodwill, and that's what we see in article 17. Uh, He hath constantly decreed before the foundation of the world to deliver those whom he have chosen, Um, and, and that's the first affirmation, and then Wherefore, or you know, now the today we would say, therefore, because of this, they which be endued with so excellent a benefit of God be called according to God's purpose by a spirit working in due season. So, why is a person called? Because God hath elected them. You see, that's the reason they're called because God has elected them, and then once they are called. They, through grace, obey the calling. They are justified, made freely sons of uh, made sons of God by adoption, be made like the image of Jesus. They walk in good works. And then look at the last clause. Read this very tightly. Um, remember your sort of sentence diagramming from, <laughs> from great school. At length, by God's mercy, they attain. To everlasting felicity. So why does anyone ever attain everlasting felicity?
0: Wherefore?
1: Therefore, because God decreed to elect them. Right. And that's what Article 17 is affirming. I think that's so absolutely the, right.
0: Uh the uh, uh I think is sometimes a people statement yeah, of kind it really of is, yes.
1: connection and causality. Um the the meat and potatoes of what we're talking about.
0: That's exactly right, and and just not entirely controversial at all. They really shouldn't be. Um, but again, I think there's a sense in which uh, people try to define themselves outside of it or away from it, um, in service to uh, what they see as uh, uh, as as a perhaps a, a system they like more or a system they find to be superior in some way. Um, but there's absolutely nothing here that can't be proven by by holy writ. Um, by Holy mm. Scripture, and and that ex- essentially is the article's own contention of itself.
1: And this is um, this is material you're going to see in the prayer book. The prayer book oh, yeah. is using um, pastoral liturgical language, so you're not necessarily um, waving a flag. Hey, we're talking about predestination here. But um, the collect for last Sunday, you know, God alone yes. can order unruly wills. Um, well, well, if he's the only one that can do that, then we can't do that. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, unruly wills and affections, right? That's right? Yeah, yeah, and affections.
1: Um, and the various prayers that ask for God to go before us—you know—that language people don't understand. It says prevent us, so they, they right. what's that mean? But that means prevene, go before. Right. Um, why would you ask God to go before your will and decision? unless you believe that that was necessary to make your will and decision good and right.
0: Yes. Yeah, I mean, it, in many ways, it's sort of the difference between is salvation, you know, is the Lamb's Book of Life sealed or is salvation more sort of like a YMCA sign-up sheet? Uh, and there's a sense in which, yeah, the, the, this, this this article is simply saying that that is a, a, a really sealed document. We can believe the testimony of the Book of Revelation uh, and the commentaries that, that, that speak of that um, from the early church itself. Um, that that actually is a sealed book and that those names are there from the beginning. That's right.
1: And this is material, um, you know, listeners that are perhaps interested in the biblical uh, basis, uh, because, you know, it's one thing to be rah-rah about tradition in the Anglican way, but then the rubber hits the road and you go, oh, well, um, you know, do I, do I really believe all this stuff or do I need to do a little more work? And so we always want to take it back to the scriptures. Uh, and this is, this is, exactly the reason that Paul brings up the doctrine of God's sovereignty in our salvation in Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter two, we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were following the spirit of disobedience, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, were by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This is Ephesians 2.4 now. But God... Being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so there in Ephesians, Paul is saying, even the faith you have was given to you by God. It's not your own. You can't take credit for it. And that's how it was that you were transformed uh, from a child of wrath by nature to a son of God by grace.
0: Absolutely. Dead men have to be revived.
2: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Um, and, uh, and the same with Jesus' illustration of rebirth. No one births themselves right? Yes. Uh, that's, uh, I've been to some births. Uh, so had Jesus and John, um, no one, no one ever, no ever said, man, that baby really did a great job birthing themselves. Um, now of course, you know, there's an, there's activity in that as well, I think. And I, and I, and our, and that's affirmed in both the article here. I mean, there, there's an obeying, right? There's that's obeying is, 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 is part of that. Right. Um, but we would of course say that, um, our boasting and our obeying would be similar um, to someone boasting about how well they did at their birth. Um, like, it, yeah. It, it, okay. Yeah. You yeah. did some stuff. Um, but the idea that it wasn't the, the doctor and the mother uh, that, that did the, the, major the, 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 real work. Um, and you would have been dead if they hadn't been there. Um, it would be, is sort of a ridiculous position. So I think we can see yeah. a lot from those analogies that sort of help guide us um, and, and just be fine. Um, without s- ne- having some kind of knee-jerk reaction um, to protect yeah, okay, our, our will, um, this is something that uh, Hooker in his sermon "The uh, Learned a Discourse on Justification" um, he'll be so bold as to call uh, a heresy of free will. Um, mm-hmm. But he's also perfectly fine with this idea of a temporal free will, where, like as you mentioned earlier, we can decide things we, in in our own lives, and we're not we're not not automatons or or puppets of that nature. Um, but the idea that we can freely Birth ourselves or freely revive ourselves from the dead um, simply doesn't comport with the, what we see in in, in scripture.
2: No,
1: uh, another another relevant passage: the first chapter of John's Gospel, verses twelve and thirteen. Um, All who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And that's so interesting that John is covering every possible category there of of blood. Okay, maybe it's ethnicity, Jew, Gentile. Nope, that's not it. The will of the flesh. Okay, maybe that's man um, in his fallen condition, you know, in the flesh. Nope, not the flesh. Nor the will of man. So if if that second category was fuzzy and you thought you could get a run around, <laughs> he's like, not even the will of man, but the will of God, that's right. how you're born. And that's how you have this faith. Well, I and think so
0: that's because that, I mean, for John, the sovereignty of God is tied into the incarnation, right? So, uh, so much of what he's trying to establish throughout his gospel, again, again, with his little, I love John's little cap, you little, little, you know, his little narrations where he'll jump into the narrative to help explain us idiots what's going on. Um, and, and yeah, and, they, and but so much of what he's establishing is that um, uh, Jesus is divine, and part of that divinity is his sovereignty.
1: So, so this is what Article 17 is getting at, that God yeah. has chosen the people whom he will to save, to elect out of their condition of sin and damnation, and then to bring them to Christ to be saved. And you've got every step in in the chain, as as people talk about. Um, God, he makes the decision to elect. Then he calls them. Then by being called, they're given grace to obey. Uh, They're then justified freely. They're adopted. They're sanctified and transformed to be like Jesus. They do indeed walk according to good works. And then at length, that is, over the course of their life, having persevered, uh, they attain everlasting felicity. They attain eternal salvation. All of the steps there. Um, this is not um, an automatic abstract election. Okay, I pick you, boom, it's over. This is ordaining every step in the way. And this is why secondary causes matter. This is why the ordinary uh means of grace matter yes um, yeah. because god ordains the means uh, and these are real and we need to take use of them and in our life in our experience the rest of the article is at pains to say that's how we discover god's will yes through what he gives to us what he reveals the last paragraph of article 17 we must receive God's promises in such ways as they be generally set forth to us in Holy scripture. So, uh, we all take it, you know, we, we don't, um, we don't leapfrog over what has been given to us to try to find some secret thing, because it is by definition secret. Um, we go through what God has given us.
0: And there are lots of times that, um, God reveals to us what we need in, in in the time, right? I mean, one thing's of the, the uh, revelation of Jesus as uh, incarnate Lord to his uh, uh, apostles and disciples. Um, things are on his timetable uh, and he is uh, bringing us into all truth through the Holy Spirit. Um, and that truth is found in the word of God and we have what we are meant to have, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we are very blessed to have it. Um, And we are not in a position where people, oh, you know, everyone has exhausted the scriptures. They just know them so well and understand them so perfectly. Um, uh, If only we had something more. Um, That is not our our situation or our case. Um, We daily need to be renewed um, by the Holy Spirit's word uh, in scripture. And that's part of the way in which grace is coming to us. uh, And we are being further and further advanced through sanctification towards towards our, our glory and felicity.
1: Yeah. Now, there's a few other things that aren't discussed in this article, and I think this is important um, because even though I'm making my pitch that we need to understand Anglicanism this way, giving you the history, giving you the context, um, it's also true that they could have gone on and said a lot more. Yes. They could have gotten into reprobation and uh, how it is and why people aren't elect, Yes, and they don't. They just The article simply doesn't talk about it. And that was true of the 42 articles with Cranmer yes. as well. Yeah. He didn't talk about it. He just left it right here, and so that approach, someone could argue, oh, well, that maybe seems a little more Lutheran, but it's not actually Lutheran because the Lutherans <laughs> no. do go on to talk about it. That's and right. They give right. they give their own answer. Uh, this article just simply leaves it in silence.
0: Yeah, I think that's it, right. It,
1: yeah. So um, if someone said, "Well, I'm with you on all this, but you know, it's that that other side of things, reprobation, that I'm not comfortable with." Um, well, we could talk about that, and we could make logical arguments. Hey, if you affirm this much, then really you, you have to affirm other stuff. You know, we could do that. But the article doesn't explicitly go into all those details. Yes. And I think that was an acknowledgement that hey, if we can have All of our clergy affirming this much, then we can stop, and we can let people work through other details. We can we don't have to put down on ink and paper uh, all of the other aspects of the conversation.
0: I think that's absolutely right, and you see that happen with men who can defend the article um, and uh, 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 and come to different conclusions on reprobation. I mean, there's some there. Uh, I mean, we can certainly. I mean, when we start talking about uh, those who are curious and carnal persons lacking the spirit of Christ had to continue before their eyes. The sentence of God's benestination is the most dangerous d- uh, downfall whereby the devil does thrust them either in desperation or into wretchedness. I mean, in some ways we've got sort of a distinction between Peter and Judas, right? So there's a sense in which, I mean, that sort of idea of the devil entering into him, that's John language from, you know, Judas eats the supper, the devil en- en- enters into him, um and uh, 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 and and bad things happen. Um, though, of course, God then uses those bad things for his glory, um, which is also connected into this as well. Um, so yes, but you're absolutely right. It, it doesn't give a, a a long strict definition of how the reprobate are in their condition uh, uh, and or or even um uh, 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 you know, what what we'll see later, stuff like, you know, graces of vocation and and all sorts of kind of technical ideas about. You know, can grace come upon the elect and then be taken away? Um, it, it, it's you know, here it's specific in that the elect, you know, uh, 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 will be carried through to the end. Um, but it does leave some room open for some from some spaces in which we can have uh, 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 faithful dis- faithful disagreement ab- about the the minute aspects um, of, uh, of 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 the doctrine
1: yeah, and that's right. the The other thing that you might think of as um, related to this conversation that's not explicitly discussed is it's what you're hitting at there, the perseverance of the saints. Yes. Now what I think is explicit is the perseverance of the elect. That's right. Um, that is set down here. The elect will persevere. Yes. And so by implication, then if you're not elect, you're you're not in that category. So you're not going to persevere. That's all there. Um, what becomes relevant is, you know, is there perhaps a third category of people that temporarily participate in the life of grace? And I think the answer to that overall, um, again, this is not where the, the formularies are going to be absolutely um Coming down and answering the question, I think the answer is though um, yes, there are lots of people that participate in varieties of grace, but they don't get the same kind of grace. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's something specific and particular here because it's rooted in election, right? Uh, that is a qualitatively different uh, experience for the elect. Um, and that's important because if we're going to use this doctrine as a basis of our assurance, mm-hmm. right, you can our trust comfort. God for comfort, absolutely, <laughs> uh, then, then there's got to be a divine anchor that's yes. beyond ourselves, Um I was reading uh, Joseph Hall, so he's, mm, yes. um, he's he is an Anglican divine, often considered to be a moderate <laughs> because yes. he has a he has a book called the Via Media. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was sent to Dort with Davenant and the gang, yep. but In he Carlisle. got sick. He got sick and had to come home, and so there's debate over you know well would he have liked what he saw about the end of it. Um, But I found an article by him discussing perseverance of the saints, and it was fascinating. He was absolutely outraged that people could teach, uh, that a true believer could lose justifying grace. He said that this is new. No one has been teaching this. He actually called doctrine of the, the, the theologians of Leiden. So Leiden is in the Netherlands. That's where yeah. Arminius is from. So he he blames Leiden for the origin of that position. Right. Um, and he says they take away all comfort. Yeah. It's an uncomfortable doctrine that they're promoting. And, and this is a guy that's all about peacemaking, reconciling different parties, you know, right. uh, um, and he he can't believe that this is out there. And he thinks it absolutely has to be kind of squashed. And I just thought that was interesting because uh, um, he seems to assume that that's a new position coming up um, and that he himself just holds to the old vanilla conventional Church of England doctrine that's right. out there and which he understands to be necessary for comfort.
0: Yes, I, that, that's very much the position of, for instance, uh, Hooker in his, in his sermon on uh, certainty um, is, 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 is very much uh, in line with that as well. Um, and you know, um, Hooker's in an interesting position because of course he, the laws of ecclesiastical polity is so much him, uh, 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 really working against the sort of radical puritanism that is kind of, uh, coming in the land, you know, stuff like, you know, you, 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 you shouldn't, uh, uh, read the Bible in church. Uh, you shouldn't, uh, you know, have sermons at funerals. Cause it's too much like what Rome does. Those kinds of kind of wild and, uh, and, and fanciful ideas. Um, uh, but even within all of that, even with all of his his conflicts, uh, he he never cheaply uh, uh, erodes those fundamental doctrines that are found here in this article. Um, he defends them, uh, and he defends them uh, you know, along with the tradition that comes before. So, for, for as, as we keep saying here, and I, and I think that's it's a it's a drum that just has to be keep keep being hit. Um, this was not thought to be innovative. Um, it was thought to be in continuity with what came before, tightened up and 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 made uh, 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 more explicit against uh, uh, certain threats. But yeah, I, th- nobody in here in this within this tradition thought that they were, uh, uh, you know, some kind of uh, some kind some kind of innovators. And in fact, they would have would have hated such a charge. Yeah.
1: Also uh, relevant to this discussion, I noticed in the um, baptismal liturgy there is a prayer. Um, as um, just before the baptism is applied, so right the, the last prayer before the water goes on, and it says, uh, it asks God to, um, to hear the prayers of the people, you know, sanctify the water. Um, and it says, Grant that the person now to be baptized therein may receive the fullness of thy grace and ever remain in the number of thy faithful and elect children through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So at the baptism, you're asking God to make sure that this person remains in the number of the elect. Right. Um, Super strong. Um, And if you thought that the number of the elect were changeable or something like that, then this prayer wouldn't, wouldn't be very comforting.
0: No, <laughs> wouldn't be. No, very,
1: no. Wouldn't be very helpful. <laughs> the whole point is that if God answers this prayer, then the person being baptized will remain in the elect.
0: That's right. Yeah, and it's a very carefully worded. Right, may receive. This is an ex opere operato. It's saying that you know we're praying that this thing happens, um, mm. and that uh, you know fullness of grace leaves some room for uh, you know for for different interpretations. Uh, of the ideas of grace within, within the act and outside of the act. Um, but it absolutely is, is, is dead on with your, you're very right um, with we, you know, uh, our prayer that uh, this either child or adult, because it's in both services and both in the child yes. and the adult service, um, that this person is numbered in the faithful and elect children, um, which isn't a thing that we can change, right? I and mean, it's a thing that we're, we're, you know, that that's already established in the eternal decree of God, as we read in article 17, um, mm-hmm. And once you have that connection, again, you 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 miss that you 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 know it's very important that we interpret the Book of Common Prayer on itself through itself, um, particularly yes. through its articles, particularly through uh, the homilies, and it can also be helpful to look at the men who said what they were saying when they were writing it. That's also helpful. Um, it was, uh, so within all of that, we can see that there's actually a, a very beautiful and com- complete and complex uh, system of uh uh of reformed uh catholic spirituality um, which is robust mm-hmm. um and benefits from not being uh schizophrenically altered by bringing in things that have nothing to do with it and then uh, yeah. Demanding that yeah
1: on that point of uh, at the baptism you know asking god to um basically see that this person really is elect you can imagine an objection well what about all those Baptist people that fall away? Right. <laughs> that's, that's a fair point. And the answer to that would be they don't believe. Right. They're hearing all of this and they're actually not believing it. That's the problem. Uh, it's not that they were elect right. and then because they were elect. They didn't care. They lived a life of profligacy. It's actually because they don't believe. Right purpose of using this kind of language, you know, proclaiming election to the entire body of the church is precisely to summon them to believe that. Um, Zanchius, again, he's um, Italian, but widely regarded in England. Uh, He actually has a line in his confession of the Christian religion, and it's it's shocking when you put it out there for people, their eyes get big. He says, it is the duty of all to believe that they are elect. Yes, And um, people go, hang on a minute, you can't come on. But no, no, think about it. Any individual person upon hearing this doctrine should believe it because that's part and parcel of the call of faith. Um, And that's why this doctrine is connected to Christ. It's the presentation of the revealed will given to you. Uh, It's why it's connected to the ordinary means of grace. And anyone who believes it, it will be true. Yes. It will be true for them if they believe.
0: Right, it, every time. Right. Absolutely right. I mean, because uh, again, it, it's the God is working in them to believe. Right. So the belief, the belief is there. Then the belief is true. I mean, it's a it's a true and lively faith. Right. Yes. As Kramer loves loves to put it, I um, mean, if that true and lively faith is there, then nothing can take it away.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Very good. Well, boy, we could do hours more. Uh, yes. But I, think, I think this is a good place to stop.
0: <laughs> I think so too. Um, so, we hope you've enjoyed the uh, podcast. Um, if you have uh, any questions or thoughts or concerns, um, feel free to reach out to the two of us uh, on Twitter. Uh, Stephen is at, at @WedgeTweets, @WedgeTweets, and I am at, at @GodRemembrancer. Um, so, we hope you appreciated the podcast. We'll be back God willing in a month. Stephen, thanks so much.
1: Absolutely. Pleasure to be with you, Richard. Have a great day.
0: God bless.